Hello guys, welcome to the show. Appreciate you hitting on the button. As ever, it is a dreary October day. I'm in North London. Last time I was here trying to record this podcast, I could see Alexandra Palace. I can't see it out of Lucy Shepherd's window today because it is dreary, <laughs> misty and murky out there. Lucy, really appreciate your time again because we had a recording fiasco last time. Um, how have you been? Are you well? You were telling me last time about your, not impending, but your planned trip to, to the Amazon for the second time. Yeah, no, I'm good. No, thank you for coming again. I <laughs> appreciate it. No, um, yeah, the Amazon plant's going well. Um, I'm actually picking up the maps that have come all the way from Guyana today. Oh, wow. Um, that someone who was out there is bringing them back for me, so I'm going to meet him later. Oh, fantastic. So that's when the real excitement planning comes. So what, part, so what part of the Amazon is it? It's, it's sort of um, on the edge of, sort of Brazil and Guyana. Mm. So it's sort of technically the sort of the Amazon, but it's, um, it's in Guyana. So it's quite pristine pristine jungle. And you were telling me that there's going to be, what, two tribesmen to lead you around who you haven't yet met, but you've kind of connected with yeah. through the internet. Yeah, so um, I've sort of confirmed them uh, yesterday, actually, and their names, believe it or not, are Clive and Aaron. Really? Are they <laughs> yeah. anglicised names for, they're, for they're our Yeah, because Guyana, I think, is a British colony. Like, oh, they were sort of, okay, yeah. Um, so That's true, actually, yeah. They speak a bit of English. I think it's the legal system as well, don't they, potentially? I think, I think yeah. so, yeah. Um, it's like quite an interesting culture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there'll be sort of, there'll be one in front of me and one behind, but I'll sort of be leading the route and stuff. But uh, they, they tend, because they, they, they know the jungle so well, I've only been to the jungle uh, once before. I'm sort of more Arctic mountains kind of person, yeah. which is why I'm quite excited to challenge myself and get to the jungle again. But um, I don't have that sort of sixth sense that they have. They can, the person in front, they act as the snake eyes. Yes. And the person behind. The snake's the big, the big threat. Um, no, it's just, they're hard to see. Like uh, when they're on the ground, they're so camouflaged. Mm. And they can see them, they, they can sense them. I can't see them with my sort of untrained eyes. Sure. Uh, and then the guy behind either, I don't know, looking up for jaguars or things like that. <laughs> I've had an interesting history with in the past. So. Yeah, you had, a, you had a jaguar stalk around <laughs> your house, didn't you, your first time in the I Amazon? I did, yeah. So sure, I mean, it must hopefully be more relaxed this time. Yeah, so. I hope so. I mean, the jungle nights are never going to be that peaceful. I'm just, Hopefully I'll get more used to it. Again, yeah. I'm still quite a rookie with the Amazon and the jungle. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping it should be a sort of, open eyes and learning experience as well as a sort of a first that no one I don't think has ever done before. In, so, what, in what way? The, the, the way it's the length of the, the trek or? Um, the route that we're sort of doing, we're going through uh, to, from one tribal village to another and yeah. um, through a sort of mountain range and it's that we don't think that anyone's um, done it or no tribesman thinks they've, any tribesmen have done it either. So wow. us three are going to have a good little team and try and See how see where it takes us. We have no idea how long it's going to take, um, but it's not too long. I'm trying to keep it's it. Still, places on Earth that people haven't really oh, yeah. been human beings. There's loads. There's loads of places. I mean, obviously you've got the ocean. That's yes. just like space. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows yeah. about the ocean, which is a sort of thing, like something waiting to be discovered. Would you um, want to do diving? Would that be something? Yeah, maybe. I mean, at the moment, I've still got so many mountains, so many sort of polar places I want to explore. Um, still, so maybe the oceans will, will Yeah, come. it's interesting the parallels with, because um, at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival we had a, a survival thing and talking about what we can learn from survival situations and John Hudson was there, the chief UK military survival instructor and also Pip Stewart, who's a, a journalist, adventurer herself and she uh, canoed the Esquivo 
river, isn't it, in, in yeah. Guyana, from source yeah. to to sea. And I think she had an episode with a snake en route to getting to the oh, really? the, the, uh, the source <laughs> of the river, and then she um, had all the river things, got a, a sand fly and a bite and stuff like that. It's yeah. it's quite it's quite an experience. I mean, what what compels you to to chase that? Is it is, is it to feel more alive? Do you think? Um, I think so. I mean, that's why I do the the Arctic and stuff is the feeling feeling alive, and it's a place that I've just an environment that I simply love. I think yeah. all people should get out to these sort of Arctic and high places because you get this perspective of yourself and also the environment. Yeah. Um, and you get a real sort of reconnecting with nature. I think it's really important. With the Amazon, um, it is, <laughs> it's a whole other experience. It's like the polar opposite of these places. You know, you can't... The heat. The heat, you can't see in front of you. You, you know, you rarely get the views unless you're going high up. Um, you're sort of surrounded by things, you get lost immediately if you go one place, you really don't know what's around the corner, um, which is it's just like being in a whiteout in, yeah. in the other environments. However, you know, you don't get that sort of... There's no break. There's no break, yeah. So, and not so you're, you're, wildlife. <laughs> it's like John, was, John Hudson was writing about how he takes survival instructors to coach them into these jungle environments. And one thing is you have two pairs of clothes, you have a dry one for mm-hmm. sleeping in, yeah. and then you have to put wet clothes on back again for the day. That's, yeah, that's, is that, how psycho- that must be psychologically tough. But he says yeah. you can't end up with two wet pairs of clothes, Absolutely otherwise your body not. will never, never recover. Yeah, you've got to put your soggy clothes on in the morning, every Oof. morning. But then you've got your dry ones to sleep in, and oh, <laughs> fun to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, because it's funny, isn't it? Because we get benefits, science says we get benefits from being around nature. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily, they say, have to be wilderness. It can mm. be trees in a, in a oh, park, yeah. like we were in North London. It could be a park of, yeah. over by Alexander Palace. If the fog wasn't there, we could see the trees there yeah. and stuff like that. But is it something beyond that, like something in your DNA, just a need to, to get beyond the safety of, of civilization? Um, well, I think we've all got it in us to need that sort of, um, um, I mean, reconnecting with nature. And like they, they've proven that it's, it's good for us to sort of take our shoes off and earth ourselves to the grass yeah. and to the soil now. Um, that's got to be a sort of primal thing in us, right? Yeah. Um, to wash your feet you go back and you've got yeah. cream, cream carpet is the uh, problem. <laughs> um, whether it's like for me, I mean, I really like getting to the remote places. I don't know what it is. Um, it's that sort of sense of you feel very privileged to be there. You know, you've got yourself there from a lot of planning, a lot of organisation, mm. and then training. A lot of the time you've got, got to these places with your with your sort of skis on your skis on your um, feet and you've sort of you've trudged along for days and days and days and you've got to this place. Pushing your body and mind to to its limits to a certain extent. Or just oh, yeah. yeah realising your potential, I guess. Absolutely. And sort of realising what you're capable of and there's a small team as well being like, look what we did and yeah, we've come from all of those mountains far away and it's a real sense of achievement but also scale of look at this look at this yeah. beautiful world that we live in and people like how few people don't get to see this but maybe they should because maybe if they did see this they'd feel more empathy with the environment and maybe mm. they'd be like poor this is something worth saving yeah like we're, we're, we're part of it rather yeah. than we're something oh, separate to concern ourselves about like it's something far absolutely. off there's loads of i mean lots of sort of religions put us in this place where um humans are above nature mm. so it's def- i don't you know believe that we're definitely part of it just primates yeah yeah we oh, yeah. <laughs> are and if it you know if it wants to change um its climate because to get rid of us then maybe it will yeah, yeah. that's true as well yeah we, we, we've been here sort of just uh, the wink of an eye haven't we in terms of the, oh, the, yeah. the history of the earth and that's interesting when we talk about maybe we've all got something in us because we must have done because relatively recently homo sapiens left africa didn't they there are other forms of humans <laughs> oh, so around recent. outside of africa but we 
all came from there um, and we've all changed and grown around the world but it makes you think that we must have had that instinct to just to yeah. conquer and to move on and to, to see new lands otherwise we'd all be still in Africa exactly I mean that's, we've all come from explorers all come from adventurers yeah and that's what we've got to where we are now and now we kind of need to use that to overcome this yeah. kerfuffle that we've got ourselves in. Well, do you think, it's funny, isn't it? Because the more I think about this, because we did the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, and hopefully you'll be involved in that in the future. I'll definitely connect you with the people who organised that, because I think it'd be valuable to contribute your, your insight as a young woman who's just 27 years of age on this, and you seem to have sussed it. But I've began thinking that the last 40, 50 years, and we were talking about the United States in particular, and the emphasis on convenience and indulging, I guess, our weaker instincts about, you know, rest, which we needed to when yeah. we were exploring and, and when we <laughs> yeah. were hunter-gatherers and when we were uh, all farming on the land because we needed that rest and recuperation. If you got a chance, you had to take it. But maybe society has been geared around that consumerism to our detriment in a way when you look at all the chronic lifestyle problems, don't you? It's almost like we need a plan now to, to circumnavigate the environment in front of us because it is seductively uh, lazy. Yeah, I mean, it's got us to where we are now, which is great. And now we know more. So yeah. now we have to sort of get, get beyond it. <laughs> We've got time to think about it, maybe, but I still, we still need to use our, our bodies, I guess, primarily. And... Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I love about expeditions and pushing yourself. It's the feeling of um, using your body in every way. It's not just like the pure sort of cross-country skiing or climbing. It's um, waking up in the morning in a tent and having to, you, you automatically do your stretcher, your, your yoga stretching, wow. just getting out of your sleeping bag, just melting the snow for water. You're, so you're so flexible when you come yeah. back. And then, you know, when you finish for the day after sort of 10 hour climbing day or something. So stretching, is, is that an important survival thing that everyone does? Is that Well, no, you don't, you don't do it on purpose. Well, you do it on purpose, but you don't do it on purpose. You can't help, but sort of you're, you're stretching your quads by getting out of your sleeping bag. Oh, and yeah, you, yeah. Um, just the way you sit in a tent, you just end up super flexible and... <laughs> Um, you know, putting putting your crampons on or something, you just end up doing all these different motions that you just don't do at home. Yeah. And I always say to myself when I'm back from expedition, because suddenly I can sort of touch my toes so easily and all this. Wow. So I'm going to pretend that I'm getting out in a tent in, every morning. Because yeah, it must be even more rigid from sleeping on the ground and stuff. And no, more... I think, yeah, you, you, I think it's actually good for you to sleep on hard surfaces because then you're using more muscles um, oh, in your back yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I can't remember some a book I read that talked about how we should be sleeping on hard surfaces all the time because then we're using our muscles rather than just letting them, yeah, letting yeah. them go <laughs> yeah, we indulge. yeah we'd only probably slept on soft surfaces when we were babies with our mummy's chest or yeah. something like that when we were yeah, yeah. in the primal primal <laughs> world it's, it's yeah the whole, the whole thing of how we how you get work around things is, is fascinating. But you are a mountain and an Arctic specialist. How did that come about? Was it was that just happen chance or were you always drawn to that kind of landscape? Um, actually, I think it, I was always thought I was drawn to the, you know, you've grown up, grow, grow up with the Jungle Book and Tarzan. Yeah. I loved all that. Um, I used to love climbing and all that stuff, just climbing trees. Um, so I thought it'd be a jungle. I think panthers and bears are a bit more yeah. possibly portrayed there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, in reality, you probably felt like yeah. a jaguar you found anyway. <laughs> Um, but I, when I was quite young, uh, sort of 18, I had the opportunity to go on a 10-week uh, expedition with the British Schools Exploration Society, mm. uh, with myself and nine others. So we headed off to Svalbard, which is a high, high um, island in the Arctic Circle, um, for that hop for 10 weeks, and became completely comfortable, got trained up. Um, I sort of found this confidence and independence that I hadn't had before. Mm. 
um, and found this sort of um, connection with the Arctic environment and just felt like my soul was there. You think, well, ancestors have been there, it's like a muscle memory or something maybe that I don't people know. have been through that part. Well, they could have been, I guess. Maybe. Um, and it's just that sort of, it's very clean living and it's once you know it, you can control the cold, you can control everything, your environment, you live the, every, each day mm. present. In, in present. For most of us, cold is, I think, we're in the UK, it's a bit of a dreary day, yeah. but it doesn't really get us that cold here, but we always complain about it being cold. Yeah. But it's that it's probably the, most people's biggest fear, I think, cold, isn't it? It's it really is. Yeah, no, I got, so I co-guide expeditions to the Arctic, and they always say, you know, I'm a bit worried about the cold, and they say, so it's a completely different cold, and I know everyone says it's a different cold, but it really is, it's a manageable cold. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sure, it, it can be dangerous if you don't look after yourself and stuff. Um, but it becomes a cold that you forget about. Mm. Uh, so you do find that after an Arctic trip or a mountain high altitude trip, you come back and you realise actually your core is <laughs> very much really internally, yeah. But you've got used to that sort of We level. feel that the other way around after like a sauna or something, don't you? You yeah. feel there's a heat glowing inside you for a yeah. while afterwards. It takes a while to warm up, but at the time you just keep moving and you keep, yeah, you can manage it. <laughs> I've, got ter- it. I've got terrible circulation, so I'm not sure. <laughs> My wife and daughter actually—they're red hot, so I think it could be uh, could be good for them to go into that that environment. Um, but you do have the counterpoint as well because you've got this love for the wilderness. But we're sat in your in your London flat, and you work, I guess, counterintuitively in the television industry mm. where you'll be doing a lot of screen work, a lot of yeah. indoor stuff as well. Presumably, I know you do documentaries, but I guess that's just the natural contradiction sometimes in humans, isn't it? You see both both sides of yeah. of it. No, I I really like um, both the city and the outdoors. Um, I couldn't have one. Or the other, I need both. Let's just pick up uh, where we left off there. My wife was trying to ring me, so hopefully I've got it on <laughs> Wi-Fi mode now so I won't um, interrupt. But we're talking about the natural contradictions of humanity with adventurer Lucy Shepherd. how you love being out in the wilderness, out in the Arctic, the freezing conditions, but also like London life as well. Yeah, no, I like them both. I think I need a balance of them both. Uh, I couldn't have one or the other. Uh, yeah. Definitely not. Um, I love coming back to the city after a big expedition and meeting friends. <laughs> you don't like the middle parties. point of maybe living in the Cotswolds or something, which is sort of halfway, halfway house, like the extremes of extreme yeah. wilderness and extreme urban life. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Suffolk in the countryside. I mm. love, I sort of spend a lot of weekends there at the moment, going back to sort of breathe, because London, of course, gets, you know, claustrophobic and yeah. stuff. But I find I love the pace of London and it helps me achieve the things that I need to do when I'm in civilization quicker. Yeah. Because I feel the sort of rush and urgency. Um, so that really helps and then yeah I, I'm always as long as I have an expedition to plan for and a goal and speaking events and that sort of thing then I, I can I can do it well. it's interesting though as well because you have got this beautiful flat in North London here and Alexander Palace would be envisioned if we could see it on the third floor but you can see the horizon which I wonder is interesting because something I find that even I'm not an adventurer but I like that sense of space you know you get up high to see yeah. see the distance you find that psychologically helps you even here in the, in the morning when you get up yeah completely I mean I love looking out and seeing sky um, yeah. I don't think we look up at the sky enough in the cities no whereas when you're on, on adventures and stuff you're constantly looking at the sky looking for storms looking for the clouds yeah. um, and it really gives you a sense of you know um, knowing what's to come so you can read, can you read the different types of clouds, the cumulus and all that stuff? Yeah. They say there's different types that sh- which sort of have different yeah, portents of weather. Yeah, you're constantly looking out for them. And it can feel quite sort of daunting when you're in the mountains and you say, oh gosh, okay, <laughs> it's time limit. Like, come on, let's yeah. do it. Let's get up to 10. So you have to, yeah, so you have to calculate what the speed of the wind and direction of the wind yeah, and how far it might be cool. away. Yeah, definitely. And you can sort of see the patterns and 
um, know for the time of year as well so you start getting ready yeah it must be interesting though when you work in that environment because you lead it you actually lead expeditions which is incredible for, for a woman in your, your 20s still with older people coming in and taking lead from you but then you come home and you work in the television industry yeah. whereas I guess the thing of like what bothers people out in the Arctic the severity of it then coming back to what people might be a bit fastidious and a bit thieverish about in TV. Yeah. How, does, how does that work sometimes, your sense of perspective from, um, from a world where you know, only, only big <laughs> things matter, like staying alive, whereas little things like yeah. you know, what type of coffee a star might have or something like that might yeah. be a problem? Yeah, no, I've, I've been very lucky because I, I sort of stay with the same company at um, ITN. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of freelance for them whenever I come back, um, and they're very good to me, and so they know me. Um, and so just, no, I, I sort of manage my time here in a, in a good way and I hope I try and motivate and inspire them yeah. to, people, to do people, the right people thing. People telling you you're tired and you, you sort of know what you know, walking 20 miles <laughs> in the snow is like. Or... You, yeah, you know, I mean, you never know what um, someone's going through behind the scenes. So I, I'm, when I'm guiding and when, or when I'm just leading in a team, I'm, and, and as a person, I'm very patient and, you know, I like to, li- you know, yeah. listen to people and never make judgments or anything. No. Um, I'm not one for egos. Um, I always want to know, you know, how other people are doing, listen and stuff. Cause that's yeah. what you can get. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting as well, that comparison, because of being back in the urban environment in a day-to-day 2019 life in Britain, where it's a lot of smartphone-driven stuff. I'm recording this on a smartphone, which is great. Um, it's really helped me with the podcast. But then it's the elements of that being constant communication, of, of sometimes lacking, I suppose, people priorities of what they're supposed to do. Do you think that some can you empathise more that sometimes that, that survival environment, of course, it's you're mortally in danger, but you've got purity and clarity of thought mm. as long as you know what you're doing, whereas sometimes back in the modern world, it's a bit more tricky. Yeah, I think in the modern world, we're either sort of looking ahead or thinking in our past, which isn't healthy. Yeah. And it's something I do as well. I mean, I can't help it when I get back. Facebook memories every day. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Or just yeah. like, okay, on my phone, like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, there's something really, really pure about living in the present and where the little things matter the most. Because you can't afford, can you, in that environment, you, your mind knows it has to be present. Yeah, you have to be constantly aware and you have to know that even the little things like doing up your shoelace, that could be a massive thing. That could mean you tripping and, you know, or catching a crampon or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing leads to another. So you have to constantly be on the ball and you sort of have these mini wins every day. Yeah. Which is really good for your mind because you think, well, I've achieved something, you know, yeah. done something. So. But it is that plan, because John Hudson, the survival guy, talks a lot about the um, planning as well mm. being part. Does that, does that implement your life here? Do you feel more yeah. actively that you plan things and, and sort of delineate your time? Yeah, I'm very planner and I like to be very productive mm. and proactive. Um, I do not like waiting for stuff. I like to see. <laughs> I like to see results quickly. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons I go on a lot of expeditions each year. I don't tend to. One, I don't have the financial backing to do these big trips to sure. Everest. Sure. Yeah, you were saying what you said to me before. Everest is something frightening, isn't it? In terms it's, of cost. Yeah, between well, it can be anything from sixty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand, depending on how you want to do it. Pounds. Wow. That's incredible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a lot of money. And that's because you have to pay fees to the Nepalese government. Yeah, permits, insurance, uh, lots of different lots of different avenues, things you have to pay for. Um, but other mountains are free? Um, some, not all. There's a lot of permits everywhere, but the per- it depends on where you go, um, what sort of what rate it is. It's like in Pakistan, in the Karakoram, permits are relatively cheap, so you can climb pretty high up there mm. for low. And then, of course, you've got the mountains in, in the middle of nowhere, which you can 
kind of the twenty dollars or something. Yeah. Um, I was who, who who knows if you're up there though and check some. Sometimes none, but sometimes if you're going for a sort of bigger bigger expedition where there are other climbers because there's a short season kind of thing. Yeah. You've got to get there and there'll be other climbers there. So they'll often have a base camp. I like to try and avoid the sort of base camp mountains when I can. Like so do you have like a paper license you have to carry around with you when you? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you rarely get asked for it. Yeah. But you could be. I think like minus 20 if someone's coming bothering yeah. you and saying... Yeah, you know. they wouldn't do it on, on the route or something. It's yeah. that gateway kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm really... Because I can't afford this and I don't want to have... Well, I don't just don't have the backing. I'd like to go and find these places, that, you know, really, really obscure places. And they often find, often give me the most out of it because no one else is there. So is it easier now with the internet to find those places than perhaps it would have been 25 years ago? Um, it's still not. It's actually, I try and go for places that even on the internet, there's hardly anything on there. Really? Um, which involves digging and that's part of the fun. That's like, Gu- the like Guyana. Yeah, Guyana and um, Tajikistan. Although that was an interesting one. Um, even yeah, you were saying that was dangerous. Oh it? yeah, that was an epic. Um, yeah, things need to sort of So w- w- it wasn't as promised in terms of avalanches is that what you said before? well it was a very odd mountain range that was completely falling apart in front of our eyes like nowhere i've ever been before the, the rock fall was constant you'd, you'd wow. move one small stone and then something massive would move five meters in front of you because you'd moved that it was all like a sort of marble yeah um marble slope and then you'd get onto the sort of snow line and the avalanche constantly which is fine but it was very unpredictable um, and it was just an odd, there was a helicopter crash. We would leave so it's out. like you were prepared for sort of, you know, what expected dangers, but when it's something like that, then it's just yeah. not a risky one. There was stuff out of our control, that, and there was nothing online for it, and everything that was online about it was completely in, inaccurate. Mm. Um, was so, it in Russian? Uh, it was in Russian language, but they, I mean, I think there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of odd things said on the internet by them, maybe just to get people to go. Yeah. Um, and so I have to have people coming and ask me how it is. And I say, well, if you don't have this, this experience or if you're not prepared to sort of fix your own ropes yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, I suppose it offers people who may be charlatans a bit of marketing opportunities on the internet now, doesn't it? So it yeah. swings and roundabouts. With, yeah, with and it was just not what, not what we expected. Luckily, we had the right skills to sort of cope with it, but it could have, it could have gone bad. Yeah. We had a better trip this summer, didn't you? Because it's interesting we mentioned America in the, in the convenience culture, but you also mm-hmm. had a trip into their wilderness in the Sierra Mountains. Yeah, the High Sierras, which is in California. Yeah. So you don't expect California yeah. to have these beautiful snow Santa mountains. Monica and LA exactly, and all that. It's yeah. very contra- contrasting. Yeah, you think of the ocean, the sea, beaches, but no, I mean, obviously the America is known for its national parks. Yeah. Um, but this national park, no one sort of seems to go there in the winter. Everyone, there's sort of a trek you can go. It's near the John Muir Trail mm. and stuff like that. Um, but in the winter, because you need to be able to ski and mountaineer um, for, and winter camp, I guess, and navigate. So there's a lot of things you need to ha- have before so it's you not go. like a weekend hike trip for most people living no, in California. Think, no. And it was much more than we expected as well. So, um, very, very surprising, but incredibly rewarding. Like, route finding was difficult. The, the snow conditions were challenging. They'd had a ton of snow that year, mm. um, which meant, because we were late in the season, even though there was so much snow. So what time of year was this? Uh, start of June. Wow, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Because yeah. the rest of California is baking it. I know, time. and it's it was baking, extremes. and that yeah. was part of the problem. Um, in the day it was baking, so um, the snow was becoming unstable in avalanches, slabby, wet avalanches. So we'd sort of get to one point and we'd climb it up it, and then by the time we'd climb up to the top, you know, the water, the sun had warmed it that mm. for that day, and it would be very dangerous skiing down. 
Um, and so you're making these decisions constantly. But so it must take a lot. Does it ever thaw out completely then if it's still... Um, still they do in the, in, the, in the summer, the like, summer by, yeah. by sort of late July, August. But okay. just because they've had so much snow, it was, um, it was epic. But it was... It was fantastic. Did you get to enjoy a bit of the other side of California when you were there as well? Did you do yeah. city city stuff? Or? Yeah, a bit of San Francisco and sort of road trips around and stuff. Yeah. And after you do a trip like that, it's, uh, it's great to do things like that. Well, it's, it's funny because you, you mentioned America because I lived there for a couple of years in Ohio and I always felt sympathy for Americans because people previously have said, oh, no Americans own passports. But when you're in that <laughs> country, you think, blimey, it is pretty big and they've got a raft of different climates and, yeah. and landscapes to do different things. They don't necessarily need to leave. But I heard Joe Rogan's podcast the other day and he was saying about how maybe there was sort of some sort of validity in Donald Trump's throwaway comment about buying Greenland because they could move Americans there and it's big. And but I was thinking, America's still huge. I mean, I know the global warming, people worry about that, but it's that's that's potential there. It's, it's phenomenal, isn't it? They've got so much wilderness untapped. Yeah, so much wilderness. And I mean, I think it's mainly the Brits that go and yeah. explore it. But um, I don't know. I don't know why they don't go and head out, head out into it. No. I mean you sort of I guess it takes some time to learn the skills for it and you really have to you have to want it but they they can easily go and trek outside their door if they live in a certain area yeah there's something about finding that unkempt land I suppose we have an instinct like not that I do it but maybe all of us have a little bit of like a little bit of jeopardy to go out beyond Mm. the the bound of civilization it's difficult in England because you feel we're talking about even about places like Cornwall and Devon they get you know sort of assailed in in the summer months but you've been Snowdonia in Wales over the yeah. over the past few days had a yeah. pretty, pretty kind of uh, adrenaline inducing experience. Yeah, no, Wales is great. It's relatively close to London. Yeah. Um, if the weather comes in, you can feel like you're in sort of north of Scotland in the midst of the yeah. mountains. It's pretty rugged if you're up up in sort of the Cribgock area. Um, so yeah, I was just doing Cribgock a number of times for filming. <laughs> yeah, because so that's because you had to get the filming right, so you had to navigate the same route. Yeah, so I had uh, two guys uh, as the crew um, who, who hauled up the <laughs> C300 camera, which is quite a fairly cam- big camera when it's rigged up, um, as well as drones and all this sort of thing and monopods. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was sort of, they were sitting on the edge on a safe bit while I was going back and forth on this knife edge ridge. Uh, filming, getting different shots, but they did well to take that camera up. And then yeah, I, I told them to put it away while they followed me along the ridge because, uh, yeah, that wouldn't have ended well if they tried to have a shoulder. Well, that's what you always wonder about these extreme programs like Bear Grylls when he's sort of <laughs> abseiling down vines and stuff. And you think the cameraman's going somehow, or camera woman, you know, how yeah. a person is going down there somehow. It's, it's kind of it's yeah. a challenge for those guys. They have to be brave, don't they? The people documenting yeah, stuff. Yeah, and a big safety rig team, I think. So yeah. a lot of preparation compared to what we did. We just went and I took people with me. I think they would, they would be uh, sort of ringing up lots of lots of different rigs and stuff. It's, it's odd that it's sort of you said about um, being present though because when you're trying to document things like you know Pip Stewart stuff did it on you know video diaries mm-hmm. and, and you're filming things and taking pictures and you're aware that social media is a way to document this and make it potentially a living out of it so mm-hmm. you're having to that does that is that difficult to sort of still be in the moment or do you and it's something I think you mentioned that you've just done it since a young age so it's, it's easy for you to do. Yeah I really enjoy filming and documenting my stuff it comes mm-hmm. very natural to me um, and I get I get a kick out of it when I relive it afterwards. Yeah. Um, at the start, it was always just for myself, definitely like being able rather to than writing that. a diary. Um, I write a diary as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. but sometimes that takes longer. Yeah. Um, so you can get more out of it. Um, cold just, hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, now I sort of see the benefit of filming my adventures for sort of showing what is possible and showing the world and showing how great it is. And, yeah. Um, maybe sort of get get more people trying to get into the outdoors because they can't like 
I'm, I'm no one special, so maybe if they see me doing it, maybe they won't, might want to try one of my Arctic trips. Or you must, have, you must have a very clear mind, though, I think, to, to operate in those circumstances. You must be a type of person that's... But do you think everyone becomes that way when they're faced with a, a dangerous situation? Um, I if think they, if, they've had the, if they've had the training in the Yeah, prep. I think you can focus your mind, and it's, it's just about, I guess, discipline and knowing, prioritising and having to focus and knowing what's important yeah. in that time. Because people can get flustered, and I've, I'm, I've definitely been flustered in the, in the environments, but I've learned from it. It's weird that our bodies do that, isn't it? Because as soon as we get stressed out, it's really counterproductive. Unless you've got literally run away from a tiger, it's the, yeah. it's the worst, no, I've, worst I've been, to be in. I've had sort of embarrassing moments where it's been a really scary scary time, heart beating and like panicking. And, yeah. But then you've learned from what went wrong there, and now you know you can focus, you can clear your thoughts, and you know, okay, I'm here. I just one step in front yeah. of the <laughs> I had that screen test once when I was younger, actually, yeah. for a TV job. Yeah, feeling that suddenly my heart, and I didn't know, it was weird. I don't know whether I was tired or being worried about stuff more than I thought, but suddenly in that moment, I was like, yeah. I don't think it even come across, but my heart, your chest seizes mm-hmm. up, doesn't it? And it feels like you can't horrible breathe. Feeling. It's a horrible feeling, yeah. Yeah, and getting and yourself out of that. Yeah, <laughs> and just getting through it is almost almost part of that, and just recognising you have to, to manage your body, don't yeah. you? Yeah, and knowing the signs of when it's about to happen. So. Yeah. Breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, breathing's a, a big thing, actually. Yeah. yeah. John Hudson, the survival person, he talks about breathing and feeling it in your stomach and it brings you back to the moment and yeah. really calms your amygdala, amygdala down, is it, yeah. I think, and your adrenaline response. Yeah, definitely. So it's, um, and you think, do you th- what's the scariest moment you've had? Was it the Jaguar in the, under the um, hammock? <coughs> I've had a couple scary. Are you, I mean, I, we, us humans have such short-term memory that we forget exactly what it felt like. Which is good to document it, I suppose, because it's a real-time Definitely, sense. you can yeah. see it in your eyes and terrifying. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the Jaguar is absolutely terrifying when that was, uh, and it wasn't stalking me, it was stalking something underneath my hammock, but I definitely thought it was stalking me. Wow. And, uh, now I've had some scary moments on the mountain actually, um, quite a few years ago now, it hasn't happened th- since, thank God, but, um, I'd been quite dehydrated, it was just myself and my boyfriend Tim, mm. we were climbing, we were in the middle of, like, proper remote, um, mountain range in Argentina that no one else was up there. And um, I was sort of not. I was feeling a bit off, and I should have listened to that early on in the day. We weren't even that high. We were about five and a half thousand meters or so. And he was ahead of me, and I was sort of trying to catch up. And I sort of saw him resting, and I thought, okay, I'm going to rest. I'm going to take off my bag. So I took off my bag, but just as I took off my bag, he started going again. Oh, and I started. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's not even. And then I sort of started to say, um, like I looked at him, and I realized my vision was going funny. And then I started to say, oh, I can't see. But I realised, oh, I can't talk. And so oh, now, I, now I couldn't talk and I tried to get the words out and now I couldn't see and he realised something was wrong. So was it blood sugar or No, this was altitude, so cerebral edema sort of symptoms. So um, kind of symptoms like a stroke. Yeah. So um, pressure on the brain and stuff. And so I, I was sort of like completely out of it and he did the right thing and put my bag on my rucksack and put my hand to hold his rucksack and then we just went, descended down the mountain as quick as we could. Wow. Uh, and you took another... Just because the pressure in your brain was too high for the, the, so, pre- the yeah, air pressure. Yeah, it's the ox... Yeah, and you sort of... Um, it's altitude sickness where your, your, your brain starts to swell. And, yeah. Uh, but very he, dangerous. <laughs> but it's, it, it was something different in you before that day. Was it something... Well, that I think lots of factors can sort of make these things more... Um, like put you at risk more yeah um, and I should listen to that um, but it only took a few hundred metres and then I was sort of gathering my my speech again and stuff but if if I'd let that happen you, it could be a very quick yeah do you, monitor, do, do you monitor your body like your blood sugar levels or oxygen levels and, and also I'm wondering about heart rate because people who train yeah. do extreme sort of marathons and stuff they 
even when they you know, they test their heart rate in the morning, and if they do feel that it's unnaturally high, they won't train as hard and things like that. Though uh, I don't so much in on sort of resting and stuff, but on the marathons, like I take oxygen saturation and uh, yeah. looking at your heartbeat, and you can kind of tell. Even though sometimes it's not that accurate, if you're going by relative, you know, mm. if if you're just using that, then you can kind of tell if you're off or not. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm exercising, yeah, you've got you. Look at when I'm running and stuff at the heart rate. Uh, try and keep. I, well, I, I like to just try and get it as high as I can, <laughs> um, so that then on my resting heart. Rate it seems like you use, you use training because you didn't play much sport as a kid, but you use physical training in the gym and everything. It almost mm. the, the expeditions give you a goal to do that, whereas you find it a bit more boring if you haven't got a destination in mind. Yeah, I mean, I love running and I love um, sort of getting outside and training like that. But in the city, uh, I have a sort of mixture of running and gym, mm. and the gym is made much more easier if I know that I'm training for for something. So you do weights and. And sort of strength stuff. Yeah, endurance. I sort of do everything every day, really. Uh, I get I sort of love endurance, but I love it too much, so I force myself to. to yeah, because you almost overdid running, and then it. Someone said to you, "You can't go on an expedition being that." Yeah, that I mean, lean. yeah, I went. I went through a stage of really getting obsessed with running. Everyone who knew me knew that was just that was all I did running. <laughs> uh, so half marathons every day, adding in wow. another ten. Thirteen miles every day. Plus, it's sort of six miles in the evening kind of thing. Wow. So, it's, it's so you physiologically must be pretty attuned to doing that. If you can. You yeah, didn't get joint problems or anything doing that. Uh, I got a lot of stress fractures and I oh. broke my foot completely at one point. Oh, wow. So it was time to time to stop. So now I try and uh, go back to what I used to do as a kid and get I have um, good upper body and stuff. Mm. So I think um, women like don't use their upper body enough because they think that they can't. But actually, it's really fun. Yeah. it's really enjoyable to do um, hanging and pull ups and monkey bars and yeah. Rope, I love rope climbing and yeah. all that stuff. So um, I love yeah, I love grip strength and. My wife's really funny. So she's got natural, incredible strength. She didn't realise, but she sort of arm wrestling. She can do press-ups. She's never done them before. And I was like, that's oh. actually really unusual to be able yeah. to have that upper body strength naturally. And she, um, when we first going out, she used to wrestle young lads in, in clubs <laughs> and stuff when you're out. And she'd actually beat them. They'd be really like gutted. You can see it in their face. And she's sort of got this bizarre strength that's, that's come through. To watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite funny. It's quite sur- surreal at the time. Um, but it's, yeah, I think that, that training is, and kind of getting that balance is, is important because it's interesting to that extreme aspect of physical exercise because at one end we've got a society which we're very sedentary, but then there is that culture, particularly fuel on the internet and Instagram and things like that, of people yeah. being extremely fit, extremely ripped of their guys or endurance marathons or extremely thin sometimes for, yeah. for women in particular. Um, and it's difficult to know what people like, role models in that area, like people like David Goggins, because they're mm. phenomenal, but you think... But it's not necessarily best for people in terms yeah. of executing their life to be running 100 miles a day, both physically and then what, yeah. having time to do anything else. I think it's important to be, the most important thing is to be active throughout the day. Yeah. Um, take the stairs. And like, yeah. It's a little thing, because if you stop, if you just don't take the stairs that much, then um, the amount of, sort of exercise and muscles that you cut out of your life over a period of time is massive. Keep when you add it up, how many miles <laughs> yeah. you do. Yeah. And, and also stairs, like for climbing and um, mountains is the best you can do really to, yeah. to get those muscles your glutes and your and your, your quads so I try and always do extra stairs after the gym I do sort of well, it's got you on the third floor here so you've always gone up and down haven't you absolutely after the gym it's also three three sets of seven floors you know try and sprint up them oh do you jog up <laughs> jog up yeah after every gym session try and um, sprint up the stairs three times 
That's a horrible feeling when you run out of just that the ana, sort of the anaerobic energy exactly, yeah. stuff, the phosphocreatine. Right, when it runs out, that system runs out. It's yeah. the worst feeling, isn't it? You feel like you're about to drop down. Yeah, so, and so that's true. what you need um, when you really need to dig deep on uh, on trips. So yeah, if you train that every day a little bit, just for a few minutes, then it's. I think mentally, psychologically, it's really good. Yeah, I remember playing a lot of football. I played a bit of semi-professional football, and that feeling of being anaerobically fit. Mm. Aerobically fit's good, but being able to sprint and recover quickly was always a. It yeah. felt felt really good actually when you're in that condition. Yeah, definitely. Prepare. For things because I guess that's what you want to be when you go out there is prepared prepared and ready um, and just feeling really ready is just good, good mm. for yourself and um, knowing that you can you can handle it there's a famous um, <laughs> famous phrase that I remember my university lecturer a guy called Bob Smith talked about at Loughborough was prepare to or fail to prepare prepare to fail and I think that's you've got your own version of that which is um, don't lose your botheredness isn't it yeah. which is kind of similar similar yeah. vibe which is I think you try and implement that into everyday life which mm. is basically make sure you execute the things you need to execute. Don't put them off or... Yeah, no, it's, most of the time it's not as bad as you think. Yeah. Um, don't lose your botheredness kind of means as soon as it pops, the thought pops into your head or you sort of say it, because a lot of people say, I can't be bothered way too much in our day-to-day life. But as soon as you said that, you might be alone in the evening on your couch and you're like, oh, I can't bother to take the bins out or I can't bother to write <laughs> that email. When actually if you just did it and you've got more headspace to focus on the important things yeah and it also means you're not sort of having this long list of oh now i've got to do this and it just it, it gets on top of your shoulders and you you feel just oh, a bit missed they say you should do the thing that you most don't want to do don't they it's like, yeah and then it's, it's yeah. and just start as well if you yeah. start things like with anything as soon as you start then you're like okay i can now see a see a bit more of a clear goal of where i'm going yeah things like accounts are usually what people don't oh, want to do God. isn't it yeah. <laughs> and bills and yeah I think someone said to tackle them in the morning. If you've got time off in the morning as well, tackle them then when you're uh, fresher. Yeah. Morning for me is my best time. Yeah. Out of anything. Yeah. I like to do all the hard stuff in the morning and then at least I've achieved that in the day. Yeah. What <laughs> happens with actually, because one thing, a health thing that came out and um, about, about sleep and the importance of sleep was that how we all naturally sleep for a good seven hours, but how we shift into a pretty natural pattern. People talk about being night owls and, and larks and stuff, but actually when we're out of modern world and out of all the fake yeah. lights and stuff we actually tend to go into a sort of like a nine six pattern or something like is that something that happened to you when you were yeah i mean you go to bed when the when it starts to get dark you yeah know, if it's eight o'clock and the, the sun's getting down you start to feel oh well so you, you feel your body naturally the chemicals and, just start yeah, to shut definitely, down definitely definitely yeah, you're just like okay well better go get some rest don't know don't know how much i'm gonna get so you better get in and then you've got to get up early because usually the conditions are the best in the early and you want to make most of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you become much more in tune and you become in tune with your body as well. It's little things like your bowel movements <laughs> really? or, or how much you sweat and how much you're drinking a day. You, you just yeah. get to know um, your body more. You know, a lot of people, when they're asked, the doctors like, oh, how much do you drink or how much do you, you know, go to the loo or something like that they sometimes they don't even know because it's such oblivious. a mindless yeah oblivious thing it's like the body's someone else's separate, yeah. separate attitude to it which is why people seem to put up with a lot of illness as well chronic, yeah, chronic but lifestyle you stuff you become I mean a bit gross but you become you know if you're well or not just by mm. that sort of stuff or yeah. you're dehydrated because your pee is orange or something about, <laughs> you talk about your bowel movements <laughs> Everest is supposed to be horrible isn't it with bowel movements on the way yeah. up it's so busy or something it's kind of like yeah, I mean, human like species and stuff. yeah that's actually saved um, saved me one time as finding it was a sort of complete whiteout in, uh, in some mountains uh, on the Cordendale Flatter and uh, there was no there had obviously been a group a mm. few months before or something yeah and complete whiteout couldn't find the tent 
but then started to find the sort of frozen feces that had been there for a while and <laughs> knew that I must be close. <laughs> really? So you just followed that trail? Yep. That's <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? I suppose that's what animals do as well. They yeah. follow each other's patterns and yeah, s- really. sniff around territories and stuff like that. Yeah, but um, I mean, I, we try and take it. I mean, if it's like Denali and stuff. Oh, Denali is a mountain in Alaska. Uh, for that use, sort of, and, and in, in the Arctic and Svalbard and stuff, you, you poop in a bag and take wow. it out with you. You don't want to leave don't want to leave that stuff no no <laughs> so um when's the amazon happening uh so that's going to be in end of january i think oh, so nice. and what uh, conditions are there like at what time of is that uh, so it's the start the of the summer? dry season oh, yeah um because we'd be trekking so they're pretty equatorial so they don't really do they have seasons or uh they have the wet and the dry season yeah. so um but it will be humid it will be hot and all that but um <laughs> How yeah. do you prepare for that? Do you do saunas and things? Or? I don't know. I mean, maybe I should, but uh, I'll have a few days. You could probably sit in a regular sauna for about two hours after you I mean, come back from there. Most people would yeah, drop out yeah, after exactly. five minutes. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind if training suddenly meant I had to go to a sauna every day. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be too bad. But Well, you live in a flat. It's a shame if you had a house or something. You could maybe get a sauna fitted at your parent, parents' house or something. <laughs> no, I don't agree with that. So but... A sauna company would sponsor <laughs> you to, to have that. Yeah. be interesting. But, yeah, so, but how long does it take to adjust to the... To the heat and well, the humidity. They, they say two weeks, but um, I mean, I don't have that time, so I'm just going to have to grip, grip my teeth and get through it. But uh, it'll be hard. But um, Does I'm, your body do a better job of retaining fluid after you've been there for a while? Retaining fluid? Does it sweat as much? Does I it think lose as much? It, I think biologically you're meant to get sweat less, just the yeah. you, from my experience of going to other hot places. But um, It'll be good. It'll be good to go somewhere, somewhere jungly and hot for for a change. Yeah. And I'm going to be documenting it properly. So um, that will be part of my escapism. I think is documenting it because I'm just with these guys. Uh, so I'm going to be doing quite a lot of video diaries and filming the experience. And... Uh, do you study the types of snakes and, and things to look out for? Yeah, I am doing that at the moment. I'm trying to get a bit, a bit more savvy than I am. Yeah. So. Um, and also just plants, poisonous, and the frogs, the. The edible and non-edible fish and all that. Yeah, because the jaguar is just a sort of it, almost hardwired into it. She'd be frightened of that. Yeah, there's other stuff that you wouldn't have a clue about. Necessarily. Yeah, no, there's lots of lots of stuff that you can't even picture yeah. um, or imagine that you need to be aware of. So, yeah, I'm going to get as on it as I can over the next few months. So. Mind you, the jaguars are brutal, aren't they? Because they, the way they attack their victims is horrible, isn't it? Yeah, well. they, they, go, they go for the, uh, the, the head, the skull piercing the brain. Yeah, so the they do the jugular like most big cats. Exactly, yeah. So, they, I mean, you see them with their caimans, that's the thing, and they, they, they're such, such strong jaws, sort of saber-toothed teeth. Wow. And drag them out. But, um, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll st- they like to stay away from humans, I'm pretty sure. Do you carry guns or do they carry knives? No, it's got bows and arrows. Bows and arrows? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Do you know how to use a bow and arrow? Or? Uh, not like them, but no. I have got one from my previous trip that I'm going to be uh, practicing with, but I think I'll, I'll stick with the machete do, most of the time. Do you think generally coming back from these things and final thought is that just testing ourselves in these environments or any whatever relative environment is for us to test ourselves, you should feel better and stronger as a person? Because I always remember... Bizarrely, a good friend of mine, when he did the work experience, you know, we had to do the work experience when we were 15. He went to the army for a week. Mm. He said that they're doing press ups every day and all the runs and stuff. He said he felt almost invincible when he came out, which is yeah. a lot of 15 year old boys feel like that anyway. But it's, um, is that something you feel that you just carry a, sen- a sense of confidence and, and yeah. capability? Yeah, I mean, I grew up quite like not confident and not and sort of quite shy unless I was in these environments and got a kick out of feeling my confidence through mm. challenging myself physically and mentally. And so, yeah, I 100% believe that if we're challenging ourselves um, through these environments or just physically getting our heart rate, like doing yeah. things that we didn't thought we didn't think we could, 
being proud of ourselves um, is quite an important thing, I think. Being, being able to back yourself. Even if it's something silly, but in England, when it's dreary, people think, oh, I won't go out, I'll stay in. But if you go out for a walk, yeah, put a raincoat on, exactly. you feel better, don't you, afterwards? You really do, and you know you will. And yeah. like, if you just force yourself out the door... Um, then you'll thank yourself for it. <laughs> it is, it's brilliant. So, well, Lucy, how can we follow the, the story? Because you're big on Instagram, aren't you? You've, you've got a Twitter account as well and obviously the website. Uh, yeah, I try and, try and keep, keep Twitter a little bit. Um, it's Lucy Sheps. The, so Lucy Sheps on Twitter and Instagram. And mm. then our uh, website is lucysheppard.net. And you document some of the planning as well for the trip. Yeah, so it's, I think so. It's hard to... Oh. Hard to it's, 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 Twitter's easier for that in terms of just words and thoughts because yeah. I've always struggled with Instagram. I guess it's working in the media because you work with words. But... Yeah. Instagram, you always feel like you need to get a good picture, which you, yeah, if, you're sitting, if you're sitting doing your studying, it's harder to <laughs> harder to illustrate in, in a picture. Actually, there's one thing um, that if any listeners were up for it, uh, I've got two spaces left on a Svalbard Arctic trip, um, oh, so that I'll be guiding. Wow! So you don't have to need have any experience, um, but we'll be going out to Svalbard in the sort of second half of May for a big expedition, getting getting more Arctic explorers in the world and opening this environment up and seeing what people are capable of. And they say that teaching is something that helps reinforce learning, doesn't it? For you? Is that something you found as well? That... Yeah, definitely. And, and you're also sort of constantly thinking of others. Yeah. It's really, it's really valuable, I think. It's really empowering for both. You get old men and women coming in, you don't, they don't mind taking instructions <laughs> from you. And... No, I mean, they're there, aren't they? Yeah. So... <laughs> That's awesome, though, to have this. And what, did, what about your parents as well? Because you're not yet a parent, and I wonder if that would change if you became a mum. Mm. But how do your parents feel about you going out on the expeditions? Um, they know that it's my thing, it makes me happy. If I yeah. didn't have it, I wouldn't be the person I am. Um, they've got used to that now, I think. Um, and as long as I'm sort of telling them a little bit about it, they're not enough, yeah. <laughs> and then tell them the story, they, they, they know what it gives me. Um, and they sort of appreciate that now, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think my little girl would be, uh, be terrified to a certain extent. But <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud, them. very proud as well, and in, in, in sort of see the inspiration of that kind of conquering attitude, because you only live once, don't we, I think? Absolutely, it's, it's life is short, and yeah. I think being aware of that is really important. Yeah, so no, do that's it, true. Do well, it you're, packing, you're packing a lot in, to be fair. Uh, Lucy, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Great stuff, and I know you've recorded it as well, so we should definitely have it this time regardless. <laughs> Guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Do appreciate it. If you could um, rate us on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. Lucy's on social media as she says I'm Ed Draper a sports broadcaster predominantly in the UK and you can follow me on social media Ed Draper 81 thank you very much and uh, look forward to speaking again soon on the pod